0: This is day 166, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Isaiah 20 and 22 and Habakkuk 1 through 3. Isaiah 20. In the year that the supreme commander sent by Saragon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amoz. He said to him, take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away stripped and barefoot the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks barred to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be dismayed and put to shame. In that day, the people who lived on this coast will say, see what has happened to those we relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? A prophecy against the desert by the sea. Like whirlwinds sweeping through the Southland, an invader comes from the desert, from a land of terror. A dire vision has been shown to me. The traitor betrays, the looter takes loot. Alarm! attack. Medias lay siege. I will bring to an end all the groaning she caused. At this, my body is racked with pain. Pangs seize me, like those of a woman in labor. I am staggered by what I hear. I am bewildered by what I see. My heart falters. Fear makes me tremble. The twilight I longed for has become a horror to me. They set the tables. They spread the rugs. They eat. They drink. Get up, you officers. Oil the shields. This is what the Lord says to me. Go, post a lookout, and have him report what he sees. When he sees chariots with teams of horses, riders on donkeys, or riders on camels, let him be alert, fully alert. And the lookout shouted, Day after day, my Lord, I stand on the watchtower. Every night, I stay at my post. Look, here comes a man in a chariot with a team of horses, And he gives back the answer. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground. My people who are crushed on the threshing floor, I tell you what I have heard from the Lord Almighty, from the God of Israel, a prophecy against Demah. Someone calls to me from Seir, Watchman, what is left of the night? Watchman, what is left of the night? The watchman replies, Morning is coming, but also the night. If you would ask, then ask, and come back yet again. A prophecy against Arabia. You caravans of Dedanites, who camp in the thickets of Arabia, bring water for the thirsty. You who live in Tama, bring food for the fugitives. They flee from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the heat of battle. This is what the Lord says to me. Within one year, as a servant bound by contract would count in, all the splendor of Kedar will come to an end. The survivors of the archers, the warriors of Kedar, will be few. The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Habakkuk chapter 1 The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who swept across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreadful people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar." They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They are all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks, he catches them in his net, he gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples." Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey, because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. "'Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, "'setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. "'You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, "'shaming your own house and fortifying your life. "'The stones of the wall will cry out, "'and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. "'Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed "'and establishes a town by injustice. "'Has not the Lord Almighty determined "'that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire?' The nations exhaust themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he gaze so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. A Prayer of Habakkuk, the Prophet On Shigionoth, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time make them known. In wrath remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand. Where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marched on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress and the dwelling of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows. At the lightning of your flashing spear and wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him to the head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters." I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. Today we read the entire book of Habakkuk, and it's one of Marty Solomon's favorite prophets. I think it really spoke to him. Did it speak to you? As a reminder, we are in the Babylonian prophets after both kingdoms of Israel, the north and the south had been exiled from the promised land, the north to Assyria, and the south at first to Assyria and then to Babylon. Marty Solomon gives a quick review of the prophets we've been reading thus far that might be a great reminder and orienting opportunity. We've read four pre-Assyrian prophets. Two were to the northern kingdom, Israel. That was Amos and Hosea both giving warning to Israel. Amos' metaphor seemed to emphasize the plumb line as the measure of judgment that Israel was against. And if you're me, you had to look up what a plumb line was, and it's a weight at the end of a line, typically used by carpenters or builders to assess the straightness of a vertical line. The prophet Amos used it to characterize the standard of faithfulness and divine judgment we are measured against by God. He also used a ripe fruit as a metaphor for how we are to live. And Hosea used the analogy of an unfaithful wife as a characterization of Israel and relation to God. The people were adulterous. And biblical scholars speculate it is this comparison instead of idolatry used in the literal sense to give weighted emphasis to the personal relationship that is breached. Hosea is being vulnerable and sharing this right? And it's this same personal sense that we get between God and Israel. It's breached in that God desires to have this personal relationship with us. Idolatry can feel maybe less than personal, but adultery typically evokes more of a visceral understanding and response. And it is adultery that the prophet Hosea used to describe what Israel was doing when they worshiped other gods. Then, in that same pre-Assyrian exile phase, we had two prophets to the southern kingdom of Judah, the prophet Micah, who emphasized and used a judge and judgment in his prophecy, then the prophet Isaiah, particularly the first part, who used many metaphors, one being how the Israelites were to be like the vineyard of God's beloved on a fertile hillside in chapter 5, where neighbors can't always see their own terraces, but they must look out for and care for one another. Once the Israelites went into captivity, into exile, there were four prophets in this time period too. So pre-Assyrian and now Assyrian. Two to the northern kingdom under Assyria, the prophets were Jonah and Nahum. These prophets address those hard questions like when or why we feel like God is doing anything or why God isn't doing more or faster to end suffering or save someone from exile, captivity, and suffering. And we learned in Jonah how God even loves and is reaching for the heart transformation of enemies. In this case, it was the Ninevites. We are reminded that good or bad choices, God loves people and he's slow to anger. God believes in the potential of people to come or return to him. But Nahum reminds us that God will not do nothing, he will respond and will not let evil endure, and justice cannot prevail. It may feel paradoxical, but remember, we learned from the book of Job, God is wisdom itself. Wisdom cannot be defined where we compare God to it. Yes, there is proverbial wisdom. Then in Ecclesiastes, it introduced, because it's a trio book, right? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. In Ecclesiastes, we're introduced that life isn't always fair, and it doesn't always make sense. It's compared to vapor in the sense that we experience life and its blessings or hardships. But we cannot control the if or when or how long sometimes it may not make sense or be you know, following proverbial wisdom. We can't necessarily hold on to them. We may lose them or have them removed. These are God's decisions, ultimately. But we know we can savor and enjoy the blessings, share them with others, and we can also rely on God to be with us through the storms and the valleys of the shadows of death. He will never leave or forsake us. Then we have two prophets to Judah in the Assyrian exile period. Zephaniah, who speaks to Judah about repentance. Shavah in Hebrew to repent, which also has to do with coming back and turning back behavior. And the second part of Isaiah, which turns from mourning to woe and oppression, because that ultimately leads to Jeremiah, other prophets and lamentations, prophecies when the southern kingdom is exiled or taken over, by the Babylonians. So now, we haven't read Zephaniah Lamentations of Jeremiah yet, but Marty Solomon gives this great 30,000-foot view of how and where the prophets fit in this time period in the story that I thought was worth reviewing. There are three more prophets in the Babylonian period, and the first is Habakkuk, which we read today. The complaint the prophet is bringing before God. Did you notice that? Why are you letting the wicked hem in righteous and pervert justice? That's his complaint before God. He sounds a bit like he's digging in his heels, perhaps a little bit like Jonah. The prophets aren't typically bringing a complaint to God, but being a mouthpiece a messenger from God to the people. Marty Solomon says he sounds maybe a little bit like Abraham. Habakkuk acknowledges their mistakes, but doesn't understand the why and is frustrated by it. Then God responds. I'm doing something you can't understand. I'm raising up this enemy and God describes just how wicked this enemy's heart and behavior is. And can you imagine how Habakkuk must feel at this response? I think I might feel a bit confused and like, that's not the answer I was expecting because that's exactly what Habakkuk was seeing and saying is he has the problem with. So Habakkuk seems to ask the question again and brings attention to who God is and how this and these adversarial people are not God's people. So in chapter two, we read about how Habakkuk will not let it go, but says he's going to wait at his watch at the rampart. He will wait for the answer. That's really bold. And God responds in this lengthy way, like a treatise, Marty Solomon says, and it seems like he's still talking about the Babylonians in that chapter two, but you also get this sense that God is also talking about the judgments against his own people too, Israel. This seems to be heard in Habakkuk's response on chapter three. This empire building behavior, this injustice was in our, in God's people's behavior too. It's humbling and seems easier for Habakkuk to accept the mystery of God's mission and ways. Marty Solomon sees illusions in the language choice back to Genesis, where we read several stories about what happened when things come to a point where God intervenes. And while it may not be a flood or a fire, like Sodom and Gomorrah or flood of the whole world, God is allowing perhaps a bigger and badder empire to consume this empire his people were seeking to create based in idolatry and injustice. This, like it was in Genesis, is part of the making of things new. We haven't read it yet, but it reminds me of Isaiah 61, verse one through three, where we learn about the Lord calling even us into his purpose of giving beauty for ashes and hope for fear. And back all the way in the beginning of Genesis, how God is hovering over the deep abyss, right? So Habakkuk ends with a prayer. We hear the heart change in Habakkuk's prayer, where he is no longer going to or waiting in his watchtower, but God gives him a glimpse He trembles before God's response. And now he stands in awe of God's mercy. He's willing to wait patiently in the end, even though he's living in a time where calamity is coming, like Babylon is here. But most empires rise and fall, which seems to be characterized here, and it's being reminded. But whatever comes, the prophecy and prayer ends. Might I be like a deer? Might we all be willing to trust in the Lord? It ends with this notion of being in the song, in the story, where God is the director of the song of the story and we're instruments to reflect Him and be close to Him. Marty Solomon says sometimes we think we want answers, but we may not really know what we're asking for. And we may not know how to stand or walk into that future. But God knows. And we rest assured that God's love and who He is, He is able to overcome it all giving us just what we need to live now and into what's next. But the part that strikes me, the righteous live by faith in the Lord. And faith is emboldened by remembering the story, who God is. There are so many references back to Genesis with the water over the sea and other creation hints. There's something so big and so amazing, even in the face of calamity, lifting our eyes up, And as Dr. Ed Stetzer, the new dean of the Talbot School of Theology, said at our Biola faculty retreat this morning, the moment we are in does not change the mission we are on. I'm going to say that again. I thought it was so good. The moment we are in does not change the mission we are on. gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5 through 24. See you tomorrow.